Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, and it is the extension of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And Jesus is speaking as we begin. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Please join me in prayer. We ask, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon our gathering. As we consider your word together, let nothing, let not the distractions of the week ahead or the preoccupation with things undone from the week past, Not any concerns or fears stand between us and you this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we're almost at Valentine's Day. <clears throat> and as I was thinking about Valentine's Day this year, 2017, compared to Valentine's Day a year ago, 2016, I realized that it's been a very angry year. It's been angry in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. Communities have expressed anger against those who have been sworn to protect and to serve them. Nations have expressed anger against other nations some wanting to leave different alliances or treaties or unions, and some wanting to stay in. It didn't matter which side of the issue you were on. There was just a lot of anger. Longtime allies sometimes were bickering among themselves. The refugee crisis worldwide was an outlet for a lot of anger. There was anger expressed by those who didn't want to let refugees in. There were was anger expressed by those who wanted refugees to come in freely. And then, of course, there was the campaign season and the election. There was a lot of anger. It was an angry year. And often when you and I express our differences, we tend to look to the laws, to the regulations, to the rules, as a way of settling those differences and working out those disputes. 
believe me, I realized how much I personally am inclined to do that when I had a new neighbor move in. I haven't even met them yet. I understand they're nice people, but I haven't met them much less met their pets. But they have a dog that sounds like an elk. <laughs> and late at night when I hear the elk calling, I'll immediately begin to think, what city regulation, what ordinance is there against having an elk in your backyard? There's got to be a way to settle it. And the simple way, of course, would just be to walk across the street and work it out, not with Yelp, but with them. But that often doesn't occur to us because we're steeped in laws and rules and regulations as ways of handling our anger for us. And that's not new. That goes back a long time. Back in the 18th century B.C., the king of Babylon, Hammurabi, put together a code, and the code consisted of 282 laws. And the reason that that was such a groundbreaking thing is up until that point, the tendency among us as human beings had been to seek justice on our own terms. If somebody hurt us, we wanted to hurt them back. If somebody uh, wronged us, we wanted to wrong them back, and also, often that got out of hand. And so the code of Hammurabi was a way of putting some limits on that and making sure that when we wanted to put things right, when we wanted to seek justice, we did that in a way that was not only fair, but also respectful to all the parties involved. Short time later, the Ten Commandments were given. And the Ten Commandments were often and are often depicted as being on two separate tablets. And on one tablet, the first four commandments, which have to do with our relationship with God. And on the second uh, tablet, the, uh, the last six laws have to do with our relationships with one another. The emphasis is back on the relationships. Short time after that, the, the holiness code appears in the book of Leviticus. And that's a code that is, is built around the whole premise that we should be holy simply because God himself is a holy God. By the time Jesus ministered on earth, the Pharisees had taken the Ten Commandments and some other basic concepts and made them into 613 different laws covering all kinds of stuff. And people were constantly preoccupied with which law they may or may not have violated. It was interesting to me that in the early 90s, without any prompting that I could see, business leaders in America had an aha moment, and it almost occurred at the same time. And it was partly driven by technology, because technology made it possible for us to do things more effectively and more efficiently and more productively than we had in a lot of different uh, eras. And so the question moved among business leaders 
from how do we do the thing right to how do we do the right thing? What are we supposed to be doing after all? And that's the very question that Jesus raises today. Jesus is moving us from the question about how do we do things right, how do we follow the rules, to how do we do the right thing? How do we take care of the relationships, especially the most important relationships? Now he does that by giving us uh, several different things. This passage for today is just one of those, but the way that he presents each of those things is the same. He begins, he uses a very simple three-part formula. He begins by saying, you have heard it said, and then he'll quote from the Old Testament. And then he'll follow that up by saying, but I say to you, and then he'll restate what the law really intends. And then he'll usually give an example or two of how to apply that particular precept. Anger, which Jesus realized very well, was a continuum. It is a continuum. Anger moves from an attitude, a thought, a feeling, eventually, if it's not checked, to an action, to a deed. Pastoral counselors look at this passage and similar passages, and they get it right away. They say, uh, angry acts begin with angry thoughts. The challenge for us is to put the brakes on those angry acts and those angry thoughts before they become an act or a feeling. Some of you may have seen the movie came out a couple of years back. Uh, Tom Cruise, I think, started it in Minority Report. Did anybody see that? Well, I love science fiction, but in this particular movie, it was a scenario in which technology advanced to the point that somebody's thoughts could be monitored in such a way that they could be held accountable by the legal system for crimes that they were still thinking about before they had even committed them. In a way, that's the scenario that Jesus is trying to lead us toward, that there is a continuum that once we're on that, it's only going to end up in one place. And Jesus' message is fix it, attend to it, deal with it early on. Now he does that by raising a couple of issues. One is he raises the example of uh, somebody who calls names. He says, he uses the name Raka. Now, you find a lot of disagreement among scholars about exactly what that means, but the consensus is that it means roughly the equivalent of, you idiot. And it's directed at the intellect, the mind. A lot of times, the very first insults that we use as kids is to call somebody stupid. All you gotta do is walk by the playground. Nobody has to teach a kid that. They just say it automatically. Ah, oh, you're stupid. One insult is directed at the mind. 
The other insult Jesus talks about is directed at the heart, at the character, at the very essence of who someone is. And he says by that example, uh, when you say, you fool to someone. Now, among the southern Sudanese, there is an insult that is worse than any other insult. And it's worse because it has such a demoralizing effect. It's a word that in Arabic doesn't, at least in, in classical Arabic, doesn't translate exactly because they have their own version of Arabic. But it's the word abid, which is normally used to designate a slave. But if they're called a bead by someone else, it means you are worthless, you are without value, you have no future. And to see the effect that that has on someone's character and their demeanor and their disposition is absolutely devastating. And it's just a word. Jesus is saying, Deal with those thoughts, those words, those feelings long before they turn into acts and deeds. Now he uses two examples just to let us know that he's not talking about just the believing community or just the unbelieving community. Because he uses the example, first of all, of somebody in worship, he's making an offering. And he says, if you bring an offering and you place it at the altar, just leave it there. If you realize that somebody's got some issue with you, go fix it. Go put it right. And then come back and make the offering. In the other example, he talks about two people going to court. And on the way, they are charged to work out whatever their differences are between themselves and avoid somebody else working it out for them. The message is that in an angry year and in an angry world, you and I are called to bring in a very real way good news. I'd already written the outline for this, a lot of the notes, and last Friday night had dinner with several friends. And I realized how deeply this had pervaded our culture. Because at dinner, we hadn't seen each other for a while, at least not in that setting. And at dinner, we realized that there was hardly any topic that we could put on the table that didn't spark an angry conversation. And we didn't know what to do about it. There was hardly a subject that we could put on the table that was safe. And I realized that this has been an angry year. And so it was so refreshing to read and reread these words from Jesus and to understand how things are intended to be. One writer says, the law shows us that we need to be forgiven. The gospel announces that we are forgiven. The law tells us that we, what we ought to do. The gospel tells us what God has done. Friends, that is good news to us 
sometimes angry world. How beautiful are the feet of those